So we're in, let me tell you, it's, um, what is it, week nine, week nine of Hebrews. We've been walking through the book of Hebrews, looking at all these different things that the writer of Hebrews has, has really got for us. And to be honest, there are some things that we wish that potentially weren't in the book of Hebrews because it's uncomfortable. Speaking of uncomfortable, chances are you're going to spend time inside today, right? Because it's hot. Now, you might, um, you might spend a little bit of time outside, but most of you are going to spend some time in central heat, or central air, not heat, right? Central air. If you got heat, you got probably a thyroid issue going on. Um, but central air. And you might want to try uh, to do something a little bit different today because chances are you're, gonna, you're going to sit down, you're going to take a nap, you're going to eat some snacks, you're going to turn on the television, right? And some of you might be looking for something a little bit different because cooking shows, what do they do? They make you hungry. In the DIY shows, what do they do? Remind you of the last time you tried to DIY something, right? Or here's what I think maybe you should do. You should, anyone heard of uh, ESPN Ocho, ESPN 8? Anyone? Oh man, you are in for a treat. There are so many things that go on on ESPN Ocho. It is, uh, it is one of the uh, lost children of ESPN, and they show all kinds of sporting events like this one, like chess boxing. It combines the very nature of brains and brawn colliding. So here's what happens. They have alternating rounds of chess playing and boxing, right? Alternating rounds of pummeling and pawning. Yeah? Okay. Or this next one, uh, the National Stone Skipping Championship. Now, any of you as kids, you thought, you know what, I could do this. I could be a member of the National Stone Skippers Association because you got on the bank and you went and you, you, you launched it out there and it went like eight or nine times, okay? Now, there's this guy, his name is Mountain Man Steiner, and he's a world record holder at, uh, at stone skipping. You know how many times he skips a stone on the water? 88 times. Isn't that amazing? And here I am. I thought maybe my 10 was pretty good, but not so much. How about this one? Sign spinning championships. Who knew? Who knew that those guys had a championship? You watch them out there pointing to a furniture sale, to get a cell phone, to get some pizza. Who knew that it was this competition that had creativity points for acrobatics, right? It's a tough competition. And as we think about the way that we kind of spend our time and the things that kind of draw us away, one thing that I want us to, to kind of pull our attention to is last week, we looked at our need that we have for one another. We looked at the need that we have for one another and that it is our job to spur one another along in love and good deeds with all manner of encouragement. But to be honest, there are some of us that have trouble being part of the body. See, in Christianity, there's no lone wolf. There's no lone ranger. We are in this thing together. And I just want to pause on this because generally speaking, this Sunday, 
that happens every year since the National Greeting Card Association named it a holiday. Father's Day is generally one of the lowest attended Sundays year-round. Do you want to know why that is? Because oftentimes, the men choose not to go to church. They choose to sleep in or go do an activity. So for those of you men, fathers, influencers in this community, thank you for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Because if one thing is true about men, it's that they believe that they can do things alone and by themselves, right? I don't need help. I can hold a flashlight, a screwdriver, and a wrench at the same time, right? I don't need the help. I can clean it up with a paper towel. I don't need the help because I have duct tape, bailing wire, and WD-40, right? And that's the thing. We, we find ourselves in this place where oftentimes we say, it's okay that I'm alone because I prefer it that way because I don't have to talk about things that are nonsense, like feelings. And I don't have to be trusted to know every answer. But here's the thing. In the church, we need each other and we need to be involved with one another. Yeah, you can find all kinds of preachers online. You can find ones that'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. But coming and being together That means that together we're doing far greater things than we could ever do by ourselves. And we were reminded last week that faith that saves invites others to be changed. That's the very nature of what it means to be a man in any relationship, in our community, in our jobs, and in our families, is that we invite people to be changed, that we seek the flourishing of others. We seek the flourishing of the communities of which we're involved. We search to seek and save those that are lost. We are the protectors and the inviters, the ones that promote welfare. We are the ones that desire to see others come to know Christ so much so that we push away our own need for comfort, our own need for personal luxuries. Because faith that saves says fear must go and yet you are never alone. So, bottom line from last week, can't do it alone. Your faith shows by how you're involved in the body. And that's a faith that saves. And that's a message that our community needs to hear. And we must be the ones that share that in our community. We must be the ones that reach out, that do all manner of things in order that people could know Jesus. Now, Chances are, you know of, or you have been a person who has been apathetic towards their faith. You may actually have somebody in mind, as soon as I say their faith is an apathetic faith, or they're just apathetic in general. Some of you are thinking about your, your, um, your teenage child. Some of you are take, thinking about your adult-aged child. And some of you are thinking about that person that you looked at in the mirror this morning. Because we've all felt that feeling and maybe even asked that question, what does it really matter anyway? We kind of dropped into this meh feeling. That's for the kids, meh, right? This meh feeling of faith. 
So here's what we do. We come and we bow our head, but we're not engaged in the prayer. We stand, but we don't sing. And occasionally we look up, nod at the pastor, and act like we're not writing our grocery list or thinking about how hungry we are and what's for lunch. But that's the thing. We've all been there. And I'll tell you that I've been there. I, I, I can't stand up here and tell you that there hasn't been a time that I've gone, gosh, I don't know why this stuff really matters. But I'll tell you, it wasn't recent because God has done some amazing things in my life over the years. And he taught me what it means to engage in a faith because faith is like a race. Now, Races are interesting because you can have two different types of racers if you're talking about a foot race. You have sprinters and you have endurance runners. Okay, sprinters, if you take a picture of a sprinter, they are the ones that are just yoked. I mean, they're the ones that have the big upper body, the huge legs, and they are built to burst with speed. But when you look at an endurance runner, do you know what you see? A long, slender, not much there, kind of a person. Now, which one is better? Which one is better? Is it, is it better for us to be a sprinter or is it better for us to be an endurer in our faith? Because we can lift, right? We can, we can lift heavy scriptures and we, can, and we can just ingest it and get all bulked up and all of this knowledge and all of these things that happen, right? Because that's what you do when, when you're training, when you're running, you bulk up, you, you do the things to bring in and build the mass and, and, and all of those things. But if you're running for endurance, what do you do? You put in the work so that you can go longer, so that you can go further. And you have proper training. You're doing the proper equip, equipping and you live a disciplined life. Now, both types of athletes live a disciplined life. But oftentimes in our lives, when we're trying to run a race of faith, we decide if I'm going to run the race, I'm going to carry everything that I have with me. I'm going to run with baggage. But let me tell you, running is easier without extra weight. It's easier without baggage. Because, listen, I'm not an expert, and obviously I'm not that much of an athlete. But you probably shouldn't run carrying baggage. Now, there's one exception on ESPN Ocho. It's from Norway, and it is the wife carry. I'm not going to show you a video of that. It is just too distracting. Anyway, um, they probably shouldn't do this, but they do it anyway. They run with their wives hanging on their backs, jumping in water, going, I mean, it's just crazy. Look it up, it's, but not right now. Um, you probably shouldn't go through a race carrying stuff. The author of Hebrews, though, gives us an illustration. So if we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, here's what they said. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, last week we talked about these people, this roll call of the faith. And remember, it's these big names of people that had done some amazing things. And it was this, this great cloud of witnesses. Now, it's those people, the ones that have gone before us, the, the witnesses of what it looks like to live a faith that, that, is, that is robust, a faith that endures, a faith that honors Christ. That, that's one group, but it's also, it is that, but it's also more than that. 
It's a reminder to us that you're being watched. Now, that's not necessarily a comfortable thought, but it's true. And now probably more than ever, because you can almost always assume there is some sort of a camera rolling on what you're doing. You can almost always assume that there's somebody documenting it. Somebody watching to see if you are actually who you say you are, if you are kind. People watching to see if you're actually generous and figuring out if you're selfish, if you're judgmental. And we see this play out almost all the time on social media. We see the videos of people doing things wrong. There's, there's all kinds of, of opportunities for us to call things out and to say all manner of things. Because honestly, you're always being watched. It didn't used to be the case though, right? But now it is. So the author says you need to, need to lay aside every weight because no athlete runs intentionally hindered. You shouldn't live your life intentionally hindered. You need to lay aside things that weigh you down, that pull you down. So I have a question, what is it that weighs you down? What things do you have in your life that you carry that are just too much? Now I'll I'll tell you as, as as a man, because that's all I can speak to is being a man, that oftentimes the weight that I carry is my own insecurity. The weight that I carried in my family was my insecurity, that I wasn't good enough. That why would I pray with my wife when she knows that I just yelled about something that was so petty? How can I lead my children when I don't lead myself? How can I talk to my wife about what God's word says because I skipped the last three weeks? What weighs you down? For men, it's often that feeling of insecurity, that feeling that they are not enough and that they are not able to meet an expectation that honestly you didn't set for them, but they set for themselves. And so they live with an enormous amount of guilt. They live with an enormous amount of resentment when they look in the mirror. And they stand there broken. And so one of two things happens. They either decide that I'm going to push through or I'm going to step back. Now, you may have been there in other things. You may have been there in your, in your job. You may have been there in a relationship that you have. But ultimately, what's at stake is your pride. So oftentimes, the biggest thing that weighs us down is our pride. So, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Did you know that not only those burdens that you carry on yourself, that weight that you put on yourself, but the sin hinders your race. 
And I, I, I don't know who needs to hear this, but here's a little bit of a news alert. Every Christian sins. Every Christian struggles with sin. If you have anyone around you in your circle that acts like they don't sin, you'd probably need to step back and pay attention because they're probably talking about you too. Because we have got to understand that every Christian sins, even after they're saved. Should it be that way? No. But it's reality. But here's the thing. Some sins, they're just more public than others. The interesting thing that I see in this verse is that it says that sin clings to you. It clings to you. Now, in my mind, that's a pretty horrifying truth. That's a pretty big reality that really makes me go, oh my goodness, that is so true. Because sin never stops its attack. In fact, it clings on you. Remember, that, remember when you uh, get something that's packaged in styrofoam and, and you accidentally break the styrofoam? And how it's just all over and you, and you can't, or it's like glitter. How many of you did a glitter project five years ago and you found glitter today? Right? <laughs> It's like, it's like that, or, or going into, into the, the grass and you, and you catch a grasper and, and you can't get it off, or that sticky grass, whatever it is, it's that idea that it just clings to you. It just holds on, and you try to push it aside, you, t- you try, to, try to get it all off, but it just clings. So we have to learn how to contend with that, how to lay those things that bind us and bring us into the proximity of sin. We need to learn how to put those things aside and run with endurance and run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's what the, that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Endurance means that it's not a sprint. Your faith is not a sprint. It is a long haul. And you're going to get tired. And the race is already set before you. We're all in the race. We are not bystanders. This isn't paying a ticket to watch someone else play a game. This is a game that you are in. This is a race that you are running There are no spectator Christians. We all run the race. You can't can't switch over to another channel and let the DVR do its thing and catch the highlights later. You can't catch the, the results on the evening sportscast or on ESPN. This is a race that you are in. And you will never finish it on your own. Because we lack the strength to do it on our own. That's why there's no lone wolves or lone rangers in Christianity because we lack the strength to do it on our own. You can't be in an endurance race and stand still. You can't be in a, in a race and be the only person in the race. You run together, going towards the same goal, the same purpose. And you have to be active in getting there and gaining endurance. You have to practice active faith. Much like the faith that Abram and Sarai had before they had Isaac, right? They had to believe that God would do what he said he would do, that he would bring them descendants as numerous as the sand 
as numerous as the stars. He says we need to run with endurance, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And that's the key of endurance. The strength of our faith, the strength of what we engage in in our Christian life is found in Jesus. Now, the faith of others inspires us. You, you think about those people, those mentors, those ones that are in your life, the, th- the people that, that you look to as giants in your, your faith. And yes, their faith inspires you. The faith of Abraham inspires you. And it's a blessing and a difficulty. Because here's the reality. While you're looking up to someone, there's someone else looking up to you. That's the blessing that we all need a mentor. We all need people that we look up to in faith, an example. But the difficulty is that a good number, good number of, of men and women just don't feel secure in their own faith. And when they don't feel secure in their own faith, their actions and engagements, it looks like apathy. But truly, it's insecurity. So what do you do? How do you, if you're a spouse that is engaged in your relationship with Jesus and your other spouse, husband or wife, is not as engaged as they should be in their faith. How do you get them to be that way? Well, you can browbeat them, right? You can say, I can't believe that you're not doing the things that you should do. You should get up. You should do these things. You should do, you should be the leader that you're supposed to be. We could browbeat, right? We could make them feel less than. We could make fun of them. Or we could do what we learned last week to encourage in love and good deeds. To encourage in love and action. To spur them along. That's what we're all to do as Christians. So we need a faith that is inspired one that is inspired by what we read in the word of God and the lives of those around us and understand that there are people that will look to us regardless of where we are in our faith and look to us as a person that is an example. But here's the good news. In our faith, Jesus is the cornerstone and Jesus is the capstone. He is the beginner. He's the foundation. He is the source and he's also the finisher. He's the one that lays everything true and the one that finishes everything off. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the unshakable source of strength and our hope of salvation. He is the victory over the change that, that try to bind us down. He is the victory over the sin that continues to cling because Jesus secured the victory for us so that we can stay in the race. Because here's the deal. Who wants to run a race that you will never, ever see the finish line in? Anyone? Who wants to run a race that you know you're going to lose? No one. Because we want to be in a race where we find a victory.
And our victory is found through Jesus. Jesus has already proclaimed. He proclaimed this from the cross. He said, it is finished. Your race is finished because Jesus secured your place with our heavenly father there. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says it this way, who for the joy that was set before him, this is Jesus, the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was before Jesus was being in the presence of God. But his joy also included being able to fully and finally present you as holy before God. He finally got to put you in that place forever as holy before God. Jesus despising the shame. And he is seated at the hand right hand in the throne room of God, which basically says this. When he sat down, he said, it's done. He is seated. The work is finished. Holiness before God means that God has been satisfied. Your holiness before God has been satisfied through Jesus and your standing with him has been secured. And so the writer of Hebrews then goes on and kind of work, fleshes this stuff out, talks about the discipline of God and, and all of these things. But then he, he comes down to this exhortation, this encouragement that I want to spend the rest of our time in today. It's in Romans chapter, or not in Romans, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. He says, therefore, because of all these things, because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, he has secured your winning spot, your holiness before God, and God loves you and he, he, he molds you and shapes you through discipline and through other means. Because of all these things, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Be encouraged. Don't let fear and insecurity win in your life. Don't let these, these things that are weighting you down, don't let this stuff win in your life. Instead, strengthen your hands, lift your hands, reclaim the strength that comes only through Jesus and encourage one another. Lift your hands. Lift your hands in praise to the Father. Lift your hands in the strength of Christ and strengthen your weak knees. Keep standing, keep moving. Anyone, you know, this has only happened to me maybe twice in my life where you've run so far that, that your legs stop really working, okay? I didn't like it either time, so I stopped doing it. <laughs> Have you ever been in a spot where your knees needed the strength? That's what he's saying. You have got the strength that comes through Jesus. Stand up straight. Run with courage to the future. God is sovereign. He can be trusted. And the joy of being in the presence of God, his joy is in front of us. In fact, that's the prize that what you're running for is that you have a future with God in heaven. That's your future. It says, make straight paths for your feet. Make moral and righteous paths. Make straight paths. No rocks, no curves. Straight paths. Arrange your life 
And this is where all, probably one of the more difficult things to do. Arrange your life so that sin's opportunities are significantly reduced. Because we like to be engaged in all manner of things. And sin is sticky. It clings. And it's hard to set a straight path. But it, the writer of Hebrews says, you make a, a straight path for your feet. Take out the stumbling blocks. Take out the curves. Take out the blind corners. Take out everything that brings an opportunity for sin and for, for all of these things, these weights that can weigh you down. Get rid of those things. Set a straight path and don't run alone. In other words, he's saying don't make faith difficult. To be honest, faith in God is really not that difficult. It's the practice of obedience and laying our desires down that's difficult. The practice of faith is knowing that God is the creator, sustainer, that he is the one, he is holy and he's worthy to be praised. That he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be with him in heaven forever. That is the basis of our faith. That's not difficult. What's difficult is when we are not intentional in our lives. When we lack the desire to intentionally make choices that move us in a direction towards where God wants us to go. We make faith difficult when we try to do it by ourselves. When we go at it alone, we make it more difficult than it ever has to be. We make faith difficult when we don't look ahead towards the price, the prize that is in Christ Jesus. We make it difficult when we focus our minds and our hearts on things that are idols. But when we focus our, our hearts and our minds and our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, we make our faith more easy. We make it easier when we encourage one another. We make it easier when we lift one another up. We make it easier when we build up one another. As we build endurance, as we make wise choices. How do we make sure that our faith is not difficult? We let Jesus transform our heart into his. That means that we drop that extra weight, the guilt, those things that kind of pull us back, those insecurities that tell us that we're less than because yes, without Christ, every single one of us is less than. And then we learn to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Learn how to avoid the things that cling to us, the things that wear us down. Being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. He says, do all this. Make a straight path so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So what happens if you don't seek a clear path? You won't find healing. That's the difference between being converted. That's the difference between saying that I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for my sins, and it's through his resurrection that I share in that hope, and believing just that, 
and then living the life of being a disciple. You can find hope in Jesus, but clearing a path, that's the path of being a disciple. But here's the problem. All through our lives, we find obstacles. Some obstacles on a path may come from those in the church. And so when we're talking about clearing paths, I wanted to address a few issues that we find in the church. The writer of Hebrews says, strive for peace with everyone. He didn't say achieve peace with everyone. He didn't say that it would be the case, but he said pursue peace with everyone. Now, while we may not be able to achieve peace, Christ's people are the ones that will strive for peace. They will be the ones that strive for peace, not only in the body, but in their community, in their family, in their workplace environments, in the world. They will be the ones that strive for peace, and they will be known for doing so. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. Are Christians known for striving for peace in this world? We need to seek peace with everyone, even the people who are not in our circle, even the people that aren't in our little crew of approved people. We need to seek peace with everyone, with everyone that we engage with, even the people that we disagree with. This includes This includes social media. This includes crowded spaces. This includes committee meetings. Do you know what we're supposed to do as Christians as we strike to to go for peace in our dealings? It means that we major in love and good deeds and we leave the minor issues alone. How many times have you gotten wrapped up in an issue that doesn't matter and you've ruined your witness before God and other people because you were more concerned about being right than you were about being loving? Have you ever done that in your most important relationships? Have you destroyed an evening with your spouse because you were more concerned about being right than loving? Just food for thought. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I think these things are really connected, but we don't always see them as connected because we think about striving for peace is one thing and then holiness is something that's completely different. But if we live as a kind of a pot stirrer, I'm going to stir up all kinds of things and I'm gonna live as self-righteously as I can in front of people. I'm gonna call out sin. I'm gonna make it all uncomfortable and I'm not going to show love. I'm not going to show grace. I'm not going to show mercy. Do you know what happens? The writer of Hebrews says, that without striving for peace and without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. We must strive for peace and holiness in us, not not trying to make people be holy on the outside. Strive for peace inside. Strive for holiness inside so that people will see 
the Lord. That is a social media plan. That is a plan for engagement in the workforce. That is a plan for engagement in your closest relationships. To seek and strive for peace in you with others and holiness inside of you. Because transformation is a lifelong pursuit. Transformation is about endurance. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have to grow in your relationship with God. You need to grow in passion for Jesus. Seek him daily. Hunger for his word, hunger to be a person that is filled with the holiness of God because this is true of every single person in this room is that we have to live, we must live faithfully. We have to live faithfully. Those who run, they're not perfect. The runners in the race are not perfect. There's only one who is perfect. And they're not sinless, but they're running the race. It means that you're fighting sin and you're living faithfully in a community and you're gaining endurance together because you are spurring one another along in what? Love and good deeds. And if we do that, we will see the Lord. We'll see the Lord with his holiness. So he says, hey, here's your responsibility. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. You are to see to, you're to, you're to be a person that sees to the need of others. In fact, you're supposed to, to figure out how to see to that the person next to you, the person behind you, the person in front of you, the person in your closest circle, you're supposed to see to that they receive and obtain grace. Because we're in this together. The church is here for one another, to give grace to one another, to receive grace, to endure through this world in the sin that clings and the things that bind, to endure together, to encourage to lift up one another in prayer, to support one another in grace, in love, in good deeds. See to it, the writer says, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Now this root of bitterness, surely we have a spray for that now, right? Surely we've uh, weeded this out because this is that weed that was in the Garden of Eden. The, the root of bitterness grew in the Garden of, weed, of Eden. Of Eden. Uh, I know, right? How do you come back from that? Anyway, bitterness. Bitterness arises out of this because it was in that moment that 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 Eve was deceived and she was told, you know what, God is probably holding out on you. In fact, God is kind of making things so that you don't have the fullness that he wants you to have. 
the root of bitterness in a church, the root of bitterness in a family is when you say, when you're selfish and you think only of your own needs. And then you think about how other people don't meet your needs. That is the root of bitterness. Looking only to yourself and only wanting your needs met. So we must learn what it means to love others more than we love ourselves. Learn how to give grace, how to spur people along in love and good deeds. Are you tired of hearing that yet? I'm not. Spur one another along in love and good deeds. Defer to them, seek the lost, seek to be a person that defers to the needs of others, that practices selflessness. Give up your comfort for them. Become selfless. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, and that that you're like, I don't even know what that has to do with anything. See to it that no one is immoral or unholy. In other words, don't willingly sin, period. The sin that Esau committed was that he willingly, it's not that he gave it up by accident, it's not that he was really tricked into anything, he willingly gave up his birthright because of a need he had in his belly, a hunger. It was a serious offense before God. So don't willingly sin. Don't willingly be driven by a sinful appetite, which means be intentional. Don't be apathetic. Don't, don't just kind of step back and say, you know what, I don't know really what happens. That's not kind of my deal. Engage in your faith. Now, you may, you may think... you may think that you don't have it all together. And to be honest, there's not one person in here that has everything together. But when we're talking about our faith and being intentional, here's what I want you to hear. Your family needs you to be more intentional. Your family needs you to be more intentional about your relationship with Jesus. This isn't a man thing. This is a a man, woman, child thing. Your family needs you to be intentional about Jesus. Because we're in this thing together. They need you to be more intentional in your relationship with Jesus than you are engaged in being good at a hobby. Now the church, we will give tools. We will give tools and we will give opportunity to engage in a relationship with God, but it is your responsibility to lead your family in the right relationship, in a real relationship with God. Apathy, apathy in men means that we've rejected our place as the spiritual leaders in our homes and in our families and in our church and in our communities. That's what apathy means, that you've rejected your place. It's time to take your place.
Because he that is in you is greater than anything else in this world. Jesus is greater than apathy. Jesus is greater than shrinking back because your strength is not found in you. It's not found in the person you see in the mirror. Your strength is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who willingly gave himself over to death, even death on a cross. So run the race with endurance, not your own endurance, but the endurance that comes from Jesus. Because everyone is watching. Your kids, they're watching. Your grandkids, they're watching. Your potential spouse, they're watching. So be transformed. Be empowered by the work of Jesus in you. Be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's what Paul said as we close. I want you to say along with Paul these very words that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Would you pray with me?